Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Hey church, trust that you've been having a good service so far. Priscilla and I have taken some time away to be together to celebrate 10 years. 10 years of what, you ask? of being married and uh, so we're on our little anniversary trip and um, I know that this morning God's not done quite yet. Uh, we have Trisha Gibb who's going to come and bring the word now and uh, I'm, I'm excited that she's there in my stead and I pray that you would open your heart to receive God's word. Why? Because it never returns void. So would you give Trisha a warm Weston welcome as she comes to bring the word. Well, good morning, church. It's so wonderful to be with you today. Um, I have been here once before, so some of you are very familiar faces to me. And if you've never seen me before, my name is Trisha. You can call me Trish. That just means we're good friends, or it means you serve me coffee at Starbucks. Um, Pastor Jonathan and I have been friends for uh, a very long time now. And uh, so it's such an honor to be here at Weston Road. I love your church, and I love what God is doing in your midst. And so um, I mentioned to him a couple of months ago when we were just conversing over the phone. I said, like, if you guys can go on vacation, please, don't you think your pastor and wife need to get away for vacation sometimes? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so it's an honor to be here this morning while he and Priscilla are away and enjoying their anniversary trip together. And um, we're just going to look into God's word and see what he would say to us. Do you love the word of God? I love the word of God. I want to um, read to you one of my favorite stories from the New Testament today. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the book of Mark. The book of Mark. Right in the Gospels in the New Testament, we're going to look at Mark chapter 6. And this morning, I'm going to read out of the New American Standard Version. It's a little bit different than the NIV, but whatever version you have, you'll be able to follow along. So Mark chapter 6, it says, looking at verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered them, and he said, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go? And spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? I like to, I like to read the Bible as if I was really there. That's how I think they would have said it. Um, and he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, five, and we have two fish. And he commanded all of them to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he, being Jesus, took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food, and he broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them, and he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. 
there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Looking on, it says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray, and when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And please note this. He intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished for they had not gained any insight from the incidents about the loaves. The NIV version says, for they had not understood about their loaves, but their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and anchored there. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was, and wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were being cured. Father, we just thank you today for your word. God, I thank you that there is so much life and truth in your word. And I pray today that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would speak to each one of us through your word to encourage our hearts to arise, let faith to arise to believe you for what you've promised for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't always title my messages. I actually struggle with titles. I was a youth pastor for a really long time. And when I would work on my messages for youth ministry, often at the top of my message, I would just put cool title until I could figure out what to put in. Um, but this message I do have a title for, and I've, I've, I've titled this message, The Best of Intentions. We all have intentions, right? And we all, with our intentions, believe that they are for the best. That phrase, the best of intentions, it's a phrase that parents use a lot. Those of you who are parents in the room this morning and you have young kids, I'm sure that in your head, you've made many decisions with this thought in your mind, I have the best of intentions. And normally our kids disagree with our intentions. Can anyone relate? Like you feed them broccoli and Brussels sprouts at dinner and they complain and they grumble and they try to feed the Brussels sprouts to the dog, but the dog doesn't want the Brussels sprouts either because Brussels sprouts are really gross. But you know in your heart you're feeding them those foods with the best of intentions. Or when you take your kid to the doctor and, and they have to get that yearly checkup and that needle, that vaccination, and their kid is screaming and crying and pleading like as if you're murdering them and saying, Mommy, please, please don't do this. You know that you're doing, you're acting with the best of intentions, correct? Now here's the thing, with, when we say the best of intentions, our intentions are built on our hope. Our intentions are built on our human knowledge, what we think, what we hope is best. Well, we read in this passage that Jesus had intentions. 
But the difference between Jesus' intentions and our intentions is while our intentions are built on hope and human understanding, Jesus' intentions are built on his sovereignty and his will, which is perfect. When we talk about how Jesus had intentions, the best of Jesus' intentions were perfect. They really were the best. And we read that the best of Jesus' intentions in this story is that when the disciples were in the midst of a storm, he was going to just pass them by. Now, we got to back up a little bit in order to get to this scripture that's so important. We read this morning in the book of Mark this story that's so familiar to us about the crowd of people who come to listen to Jesus' teaching and how they got hungry. And, and you know this story. If you grow up going to church, then you have played in Sunday school and you had the flanographs. Does anyone remember the flanographs? And they would put, like, a crowd of 20 people, like, stuck to a felt board. And you had to, like, imagine that this was 5,000 people. And then there would be, like, a little, a little fish and a little loaf of bread. And if your Sunday school teacher was really creative, then she went to the bakery that morning and brought bread. And it's a story that's familiar to all of us. But can I ask you today... Can I ask you today? See, sometimes we get so familiar with the word of God that we read it and it loses its amazement. So this morning, I'm going to ask you, as we rehearse a story that's so familiar to us, can you, can you listen and receive it today like it's the first time that you've ever heard it? Because if, if we open the word and we come at it with childlike faith, the word of God will blow our mind every time. But if we come with this attitude that I've been serving Jesus for 30 years and I know it all already, man, it'll do nothing for us. So let's come with expectation and excitement today, okay? So here's the story that you know already. Scripture says that there's 5,000 men there that day. Now, this is the way that Scripture records things. They would count the men. But we know that women would have been in there and children would have been there. So it says 5,000. But, but to be really, like, uh, like, basic, there would have been at least 10,000 people, if not more that day. And these people had come because they were desperate to hear Jesus' teaching, and so he teaches the crowd. And eventually, Scripture records that the disciples come to him, and the disciples say, hey, Jesus, the crowd is starting to get hungry. Now, I don't know this for fact. This is just my guess, but I think it was the disciples who were starting to get hungry. I think they're, like, nudging each other, and they're like, man, uh, the Baptists are beating us to Swiss Chalet. Jesus has got to, like, wrap this up really quick because they're going to run out of chicken. Like, I think the disciples were getting hungry. And they go to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, like, you've been teaching a long time. This is, like, past the order of service that it said. Like, you got to wrap this up because these people are hungry so that they can go into town and get food. And Jesus, I love this, he just turns it around on them. And he says to the disciples, well, you feed them. They're like looking. Like this is not a small dinner party. This is at least 10,000 people. And they're looking at all this crowd and they say to Jesus, and I think there's a little bit of arrogance in their voice. This is just, I don't know this for a fact. This is just my interpretation. And they're like, you want us to spend 200 denarii to feed all these people? And then Jesus asks this really important question. He says, well, what do you have? What do you have? 
The other passage of scripture in another gospel, you know this, records that there's a little boy who's come with the lunch. The strangest lunch a little boy has ever carried to a picnic. He has five loaves and two fish. Weird. What kid shows up at school with five loaves of bread and two fish? But this is what that child has that day. And uh, and they, they find this food and they bring it to Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus takes these five loaves and this two fish and he blesses it. And then he hands it back to the disciples. Now listen, I know you know this story. But can we just for a minute imagine what this would have been like? I'm a visual person, so I just picture Jesus had 12 disciples. I see them all lined up in a row. And I see each one of them is holding a basket because I'm a woman. A man would just hand the loaf of bread, but a woman has to think about presentation. So we would put it in a basket. There would be like a linen cloth. Like it would be nice. Like, oh, bread, right? So I picture these 12, these 12 men lined up, each of them holding a basket, and Jesus comes along, and he has these five loaves and these two fish, and he breaks those loaves in half, and he gives half a loaf to John, and he gives half a loaf to Peter, and he gives half a loaf to Thomas, and he gives half a loaf to Judas, and he goes down the line so that every disciple has either half a loaf of bread or they have half a fish in their basket. And then he says, okay, now go, go. And feed the crowd. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a disciple, I'd be a little bit nervous. So this is how I picture it going down. I picture John going this way and Peter going this way and Peter coming to the first person. And he reaches into his basket and he pulls out half a loaf of bread. And he hands it to the first person. And they're so thrilled, they're hungry, they're ready to eat. And then he goes to the next person and Peter now knows he has nothing in his basket but it looks better if you reach in and you at least try, right? So he reaches in, just like thinking he's going to pull out an empty hand and be like, I'm so sorry. But he reaches in and all of a sudden he realizes there's another half loaf of bread. And he gives it to that person. And he's thinking and he's confused. And he's saying, I, I thought Jesus just gave me half a loaf. He must have made a mistake. There must be another disciple walking out without any food in their basket. Somehow I got two and someone else got none. And, and, but now he knows. Now he knows for sure there is nothing in my basket. And so he goes to the next person and reaches in again thinking for sure this time Leah he's gonna have nothing to give you but he reaches inside the basket and all of a sudden oh, there's another loaf of bread and he hands it to the next person and as he goes down the line with each person every time he reaches into his basket there's another loaf of bread can you imagine Peter makes his way all the way to the end. And every person that he reaches, he, every time he puts his hand in, there's more food to feed the crowd. And he gets to the end, and now he has to make his way back up to the front. And as he's walking by all these people that he fed, he realizes he couldn't even eat all of his bread. Look at that chunk of bread just sitting there. And so he reaches in, he puts it in his basket. By the time he gets all the way back up to the front, he has a full basket of food. Come on. Now, that's just one disciple. I think Peter got up to the front and he sees John. John's coming towards him. Peter yells out, John, you'll never believe it. I fed all the people in my section and I have a basket left over. And John lifts up his basket and he goes, Peter, me too. And they come up. Peter looks at John and John looks at Peter and they say, how is this possible? 
Peter says, John, do you, do you remember? Like I remember. Didn't we just have five loaves and two fish? John says, yeah, Peter, that, that's how I remember it too. And he goes, well, how is it possible that I fed all my people and you fed all your people and I have a full basket and you have a full basket and look, there comes Thomas and he's got a full basket too and look, there's Judas and he's got a full basket too. Look, there's Matthew, he's got a full basket too and all the disciples come up to the front. Twelve full baskets of food. Over 10,000 people have been fed. Come on, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Bible says that after that miracle, that Jesus looks at those 12 men who've just experienced this. And he says, all right, boys, I'm going to dismiss the crowd. How on earth Jesus dismissed 10,000 people, I'll never understand in all my life. But he says, I'll take care, I'll dismiss the crowd. He says, you guys go to the other side. Now, Mark, as we read this morning, is specific about where they were to go, but the book of Matthew tells the same story, and all Matthew says is that Jesus told them to go to the other side. I love that. I love that Matthew's not specific because, see, for you and for I, for all of us who are serving Jesus, there's another side. We might not know exactly where it is. We might not know exactly what it looks like. We might not have a name for that place yet. But God is always calling us to the other side. It's a place of victory. It's a place of growth. It's a place of faith. It's a place of answered prayers. It's a place of promotion. It's a place of calling. And you might not be able to put your finger on it and label it, but there's a stirring that comes in our hearts when we read God's word and when we listen to the voice of the Spirit that's calling us to the other side. And Jesus says to the boys, all right, now I want you to go to the other side. The Bible says that after Jesus tells them that, a storm comes. When you read the book of Matthew, it describes it this way. It says that they were buffeted by the waves because the wind was against the boat. The book of John says that the sea began to be stirred up because there was a strong wind blowing. The book of Mark says that the disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And the Bible says this, that Jesus saw them. He saw them in the midst of their storm. He saw them in their boat struggling. He saw the wind and the waves that were against them. He saw them in the midst of the storm. He saw them trying with all their might just to make it to the other side that Jesus told them to go to. The Bible tells us a few more things in the book of Matthew and the book of Mark. It says that they were between the fourth watch of the night, which is between three and six in the morning. The book of John tells us that they were three or four miles across, which was halfway. So when Jesus finally shows up on the scene, and he sees them in the midst of the storm, straining against the wind and the waves with the intention to pass them by. They had been rowing for about six hours and were only halfway to their destination. You know that word intention that the book of Mark uses when it says that Jesus intended to pass them by? That word intention, it means that it was his will. 
It means that Jesus was resolved. It means that Jesus was determined. It means that Jesus had purposed in his heart that he was going to walk on by them. Seeing them in their storm, he had no plans to stop. He had already decided, he had already determined that he would walk on water and meet them at the other side. Now, I don't, I don't know all of your stories, but I can guess because you're human and I'm human that maybe you face some storms in life. <laughs> I don't know what you're like when you're in the midst of a storm. Can I just be honest? Even though I'm a full adult, I can get very childlike in the midst of the storm. And I've been known to throw a few spiritual temper tantrums in my living room where I get very honest and very real with God. And I ask him some questions about why this is happening and where he is and why the winds aren't being silenced and why the waves are still rocking the boat, which is my life. Why am I going through this? Why are you allowing this? God, where are you in the midst of the storm? Has anyone ever asked questions like that? I wonder, have you ever thought in the midst of a storm that maybe his best intentions were just to pass you by. Doesn't that sound harsh? <laughs> Doesn't that sound like the opposite of what God should do? And yet scripture says that he intended to pass them by. So I ask the question when I read my Bible, why? Why would it be God's perfect will that in the midst of a storm when the disciples, it looked like they needed him, why would he intend just to walk on by and meet them on the other side? Well, I think it's for two reasons. I think, number one, because they had something to learn in the storm. And number two, I think it was because they knew, he knew that they would make it to the other side. See, there was something for them to learn in the storm that they were going through. The Bible says that when Jesus gets into the boat and the storm becomes calm, the Bible says that the disciples were amazed or they were astonished that the storm stopped when Jesus got in the boat. Well, why? Why would they be amazed? Why would they be astonished at that? Well, Scripture tells us in verse 52, it was because they had not understood about the loaves and the fishes and their hearts were hardened. See, before this miracle, before they got in the boat, before the storm, Jesus had done this incredible thing. He had multiplied all that food. He had fed all those people. And the disciples, they didn't just witness it. They were part of it. They were sticking their hands into baskets and finding food every time they put their hand in. And yet, and yet, they missed it. That miracle that they experienced, that miracle was supposed to give them faith. It was supposed to build something in their heart. It was supposed to assure them of who God was. It was supposed to be a building block in their life so they knew who Jesus was. So they had faith to believe that the God who caused food to multiply is the same God who could get them to the other side. And yet somehow, somehow, that miracle that was meant to build belief in their life, that miracle that was meant to teach them and show them that there's nothing that's impossible for God. Somehow they missed the lesson of the miracle. And when Jesus gets in the boat, they're amazed, astonished that he could calm a storm. See, because they hadn't understood 
they hadn't learned the lesson with the loaves and the fishes. And their hearts were hardened and dull and calloused. And the miracle that was supposed to build faith in their lives was a miracle that they experienced, but they never learned the lesson of. Church, there's something for that. In that miracle, there's something for us <laughs> to learn. Because you know what? As people who serve God, as people who are part of the body of Christ, as people who experience his presence and the miraculous around us on a regular basis, we need to be so cautious that our hearts do not come hardened to the things that God is doing in our midst. See, every, every day that we walk with Jesus, every time we hear the word, every time we open our Bible, every time we experience a miracle, whether it's small or whether it's big, every time we hear the voice of the Spirit in our lives, every time we have an experience with God that's meant to teach us something, it's meant to cause our faith to grow, it's meant to be a building block in our life so that we become more sure of who God is, but we can become hard-hearted and calloused to the things of God. We can miss the lesson of the miracle. We can quickly become apathetic and take for granted that God is our provider, that he is our healer, that he is the one who makes a way in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a trial. We can become callous to the reality that he's doing the miraculous on a regular basis in our life. See, that miracle of the feeding of all those people it was meant to do something inside of them. It was meant to prepare them. It was meant to build their faith so that, when they, so that they would know the next time they were experiencing something that they would be okay. Because the God who fed the 5,000 is the God who could get them to the other side. It was meant to build faith inside of them. See, I think that he intended to pass them by because he needed them to learn the lesson. He needed them to have faith arise in their hearts. He needed them not to miss the lesson this time that they had missed with the feeding of the 5,000s. Can I ask you this morning, what lessons might God be trying to teach you in the midst of your storm? I'm not saying to you this morning that God sends the storm, that God causes evil things or hard things in our lives, but I do believe with all my heart that when we're walking through a trial, when we're walking through a circumstance, when we're walking through a storm, that God, because he is a good God, because he is a good father, because scripture says that he desires to move us from glory to glory, that he does not miss an opportunity in a trial to teach us who he is, to let faith rise within us, to let a courage come and dwell in our hearts. He does not miss an opportunity for us to learn again about his sovereignty and his might and his provision. Who God is. But we have to learn the lesson. We have to learn what God is teaching us in the midst of our trial. You know, David, the great king in the Old Testament, the Bible says that when he was running from King Saul, David was anointed. He was destined to become the next king over Israel, but he was serving in a kingdom under an evil king, and he had to run from King Saul. And scripture says that David found himself in the stronghold. The stronghold, it's another word for a storm. But it was in the stronghold that David learned how to be a leader. 
It was in the stronghold that David learned how to walk with integrity. It was in the stronghold that he began to write prayers and songs that are now in our scripture. It was in the stronghold that God began to develop David. If it wasn't for the stronghold, I don't know if David would have been prepared for the day when the crown was placed on his head, but it was in the stronghold that God built him up and, and made a way and prepared him for what was to come, what lessons might God be trying to teach us in the midst of our stronghold, our storm, in the midst of the miracle that he's doing in our lives? See, church, storms are going to come. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> They're just going to come because it's life. Storms are going to come. And you can blame them on whoever you want. You can blame them on the devil or you can blame them on situations. But in every storm, there's a lesson for us to learn. There's faith to grow. There's belief that is to be developed in our heart. And that faith and that belief, it has to be developed in us for us to become the men and women of God that he is calling us to be. So what lesson is God trying to teach us? For the disciples, I think he was trying to teach them how to persevere. I think he was trying to teach them how to work together. I think he was trying to teach them how to fight I think he was trying to teach them how to believe the word. I think he was trying to teach them how to have faith in a God that they could not see. And the Bible says that he intended to pass them by, I think, so that they could learn in their storm. I mentioned already his intentions are based on his sovereignty. His intentions are based on the fact that God is all-knowing, that he knows all things, things that we do not know. So I think that when the Bible says that Jesus intended to pass them by, it was so they would learn something. But I also think it was because he knew that they would make it to the other side. (laughs) See, Jesus had no concern about the storm. The wind and that waves that was causing so much fear and so much apprehension in the disciples, it, it was just serving as stepping stones for Jesus. Like he was just walking on the water while those boys were quaking in fear. And he had no fear because he knew, based on his sovereignty, he knew that they would make it to the other side. That's why he gave them that word in the first place. He told them, go to the other side, because he knew that they would get there. He told them to go, because he knew that they would make it. Can I tell you today that God does not give us a word that he will not fulfill? Every word that he gives us is stamped by a covenant promise from our God who does not break his word. And when he gives us a word, it will be fulfilled in our lives. So while the disciples are in a panic, Jesus was just going to walk on by them because he gave them a word. The word was go, and he knew that word would be fulfilled in their lives. They were going to the other side. It's the same for us, church. When God gives us a word, he will fulfill it. When God says go, he's going to get you there. When there is no storm that can stop God's word being fulfilled in our lives because his word, it makes a way for us where there seems to be no way, even in the midst of a storm. So when God gives us a word we don't need to question we just need to walk in obedience and do what he said and know that he will fulfill his word and we will get to the other side 
You just have to let the word of God be your directions and let the experiences that you've had with God be that motor, that fuel that pushes you towards your destination. See, the Bible tells us repeatedly about times when God told people to go. God said, Abraham, go to the land that I will show you. He didn't name it. He just said, I'll show you. God said to the Israelites, leave Egypt and go to the land of Canaan. Jesus said to the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospels. Make disciples. It was the word that would directed them. It was the word that steered them where they were to go. If you want to go to the other side, then you just need to let the word of God steer you in that direction and follow after the word in obedience. And that word will steer you and you let your experiences with God fuel you. But we obey the word. We follow the word. You know, this story, I love it so much. <laughs> I love it because the disciples, they're, um, they're imperfect just like us. Just being honest with you this morning, if I was in their position, I would be, I would be panicking too. <laughs> Sitting in a boat in the midst of a storm, six hours of rowing, we're only halfway in the wind and the waves, I would, I would be nervous too. I'd be wanting to call my mom or someone. <laughs> But you know, when I read this story, there's part of me that just thinks, man, I would love, I would love if they had just gotten it. I would love if they sat down on that boat and they had such a revelation from the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus would have been able just to walk on by them. Because if Jesus had walked on by them, it wouldn't have meant that they were alone. It would have meant that they knew that greater is he that's in me than he's that's in the wind and the waves. It would have meant that their faith had learned the lesson and there was belief built in their hearts. It would have meant that these disciples who were fresh off this experience with Jesus were letting the word sear them and their experiences be that motor, be that fuel that got them. Can you imagine what it would have been like if they had gotten the lesson of the loaves and the fishes? Can you imagine the experience sitting on the boat as they're sitting there, those 12 boys, and they're straining at the oars and they've been going now for six hours and finally one of them gets tired and starts to get nervous and feels like they're not going to make it. It was probably Thomas because Thomas was always doubting. And finally he raises his voice and he's like, boys, I don't think we're going to make it. We should just give up or turn around. And all of a sudden one of them with faith fueled by what they had just experienced with the loaves and the fishes says, come on, Thomas, keep going. Jesus said we're going to the other side. We're going to the other side because he always fulfills his word. Another one would have piped up and said, come on, Thomas, we got this. Remember what Jesus just did, how he fed all those people with five loaves and two fishes? If Jesus can do that, then he can help us in the midst of a storm. We're going to the other side. Thomas still wondering, still nervous, saying, I don't know, guys, this wind is really rough. These waves are really tall. And John, all of a sudden, just inspired by the Holy Spirit, stands to his feet in the middle of that boat. And he says, come on, Thomas. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? Remember how she grabs onto the cloak of Jesus' garment and how instantly she was healed? Another disciple pipes up. Peter stands to his feet. And he's like, yeah, remember that little girl, Jairus' daughter? Remember how she was dead? And Jesus showed up and brought her back to life? Come on, Thomas. Keep rowing. And finally, Thomas is like, I remember I remember the lame man who got lowered in through the house. And Jesus spoke to him and said, by your faith, you are made whole. And he stood up. I believe, I believe what God said. And he just began rowing. Can you imagine if they had let their faith fuel them? 
they let that belief grow in their heart and they'd push forward. Man, what an experience that would have been. If they just believe greater is he that's in me than he that's in the wind and the waves. See, Jesus intended to pass them by because he gave them a word. And he knew that word would be fulfilled in their life that they could get to the other side. I want to tell you this morning, church, there's another side for you. There's another side for you. You might not know exactly what it looks like. You might not be able to label it. But if there's a stirring in your heart that you've read a promise from Scripture, that there's something that the Spirit of God has spoken to you, and he's telling you in some way, in some capacity, that you are to go. He's calling you to the other side. And for all of us, there are those words. There are those moments. Because Scripture says that there's supposed to be growth. We're supposed to go from glory to glory. We're never supposed to stay stagnant. But we are supposed to keep moving to the other side. There's another side for you. There's another side for you. God has given his word. He will be faithful to fulfill that word. He's going to get you to the other side. Now listen, some of you this morning, I don't know what it's like in here. I just know in my church, every time we have a guest speaker come, someone gets upset. Someone comes to the pastor afterwards and says, Pastor, that evangelist you brought in, he gave, he gave a word to my neighbor. He gave a word to my mother-in-law. He gave a word to that woman. I know she doesn't even pray, but God didn't give me no word. All upset. Can I tell you, you don't need an evangelist to come with a prophetic word. You have the word. <laughs> you have the promise of God <clears throat> written to you in the word. This is the word that tells us what to do. And thank God for the gifts of the Spirit and the prophetic word when it comes. But you don't go chasing after things. You open the Bible and you claim the word that God has given you. This word is calling us to this other side. This word promises to heal you. This word promises that he will be faithful to you. This word promises that he will direct you. This word promises that he will strengthen you. This word says that you and your house will serve the Lord. This word says that he is planned to prosper you, a future and a hope for you. We just need to let this word be our guide and lead us to the other side. And when you start to get weary in the midst of a storm, when you feel like you've been straining at the oars and the wind and the waves are against you and you don't know if you can make it, you don't know if God's going to fulfill his word, you just look back and remember. You look back and you remember what God did for you. You look back and remember how God saved you. You look back back and remember the miracles that God did for you. You look back and remember how he's never failed you, how he's always been faithful to you. And you let those experiences fuel your faith so that you keep pressing to the other side. You know, we got to be a church that does that for other people. See, Weston Road, you guys are in this together. You're serving Christ as individuals. You're chasing after what God has for you on the other side. But there's another side for this church. I know because I've spoken to your pastors, there's a vision in Pastor Jonathan and Priscilla's heart. They're believing that there is greater to come for Weston Road. They're believing that God's going to do something mighty in your midst. They're believing that neighborhoods around this church are going to be saved by the power of God. They're believing that the gifts of the Spirit are going to flow in this house. And I'm telling you, when you start to question, when you start to get weary, when the vision that God has for this house starts to feel like, man, I don't know if we're going to make it, you need to look at each other and be like, uh-uh, do you remember? 
remember when we decided to do a renovation in this house? Do you remember how we didn't know where the money was going to come from and God provided? Do you remember how quickly all of this took place? Do you remember God's provision in our life over the years? Do you remember how God has been so faithful to Weston Road? He has never failed us. you got to spur some people on. Remind them who God is in the midst of a storm. We need to hold on. Remember, remember, there might be wind and waves, but you just look at each other and you say, God gave us a word, so we're going to the other side. You know, Scripture says that he intended to pass them by because he wanted them, I believe, to learn. And I believe it was because he knew that they were going to make it. You know, the Bible also shows us that Jesus stayed close. It says that in the midst of the storm that he saw them. He saw them. He wasn't far from them. He was close enough to watch them. His presence was near. The Bible didn't, the disciples, they didn't actually need, I don't think they, I don't think they actually needed the storm to cease. I think they just needed to know that Jesus was with them. And that's why he stepped into the boat. The storm was silenced. You know the difference between the disciples and you and I? is that we know that God is always with us because the presence of the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. We are never alone in the midst of the storm. God is always present in our circumstance because he lives within us. Those words of scripture, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world are so true because the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells within us. We are not alone in the midst of a storm. The storms cannot stop you. The wind and the waves cannot deter the word of God being fulfilled in your life because the one who walks on water now lives in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. God has another side for you. His promises are for you. So today as we close, my question for you is what is the word that's directing your life? What is the word that's directing your decisions right now? What is the word that's causing you to follow him to the other side? What word today do you need to hold on to? What word today do you need to say, God, you've spoken this through your word, through the Holy Spirit to my heart. And even though there's been wind and waves and there's been doubt in my life, God, today I'm holding on to your word again and I'm believing that you're going to take me to the other side. What's the word that God has for you? Is it a word of healing? Is it a word of salvation? Is it a word for your family, for your household, for your children? Is it a word of provision? Is it a word that that he will not fail you? Is it a word of calling, of purpose for your life? What is the word that God has spoken to you that today you're going to say, I'm holding on to the word. I'm holding on to the word. And I'm believing that he is going to get me to the other side. And when fear and doubt come, you're just going to look back and remember. Remember the experiences that you've had with God. Can we stand to our feet all around the room this morning? You know, a number of years ago, I was thinking of this while I drove up here this morning. I haven't thought of this story in so long. But a number of years ago, I was just in a season of my life when I was really questioning what God was doing and what God was saying. And and I felt very lost and very confused in this season of my life. And I found myself, I was on vacation somewhere, and I had a few hours by myself. Everyone else that I was with was busy. They were doing other things. And so I took this few hours of time 
to go down to the ocean because God speaks louder at the ocean. At least he does for me. And I sat on some rocks and I watched the waves and I had my Bible in front of me and I just sat and waited and listened and I, I felt God give me this word. It was a similar word to that of Abraham and I read it in scripture. I felt it in my spirit, but I read it in scripture and God just said that he's gonna lead me somewhere and I didn't know where it was. And I held on to that word. And there have been times since that day when I have questioned, God, I don't know where you're taking me and I don't know what you're doing and yet I hold on to the word. See, we need to hold on to what God has for us. And sometimes we don't know the name of the place. We don't know what will meet us on the other side. But I promise you, God has another side for you. There's a word that we need to hold on to and we can't miss the lessons of the miracle. We need faith to build in our hearts to trust God and believe that he's gonna get us there. Do you believe this morning? Can I ask you this morning, we're just gonna take a minute before we dismiss. There's a song that I love and the chorus simply says, take a moment to remember who my God is and who I am. And then the singer pauses, and he goes, oh, there you go, lifting my burden again. As we end this morning, I just want us to take a moment and remember who God is. I want us to remember what God has done in our past. I want us to remember how God has always been faithful to us. And allow him, as we remember, to lift the fear off of us, to lift the burden off of our lives, and to leave this place facing forward, looking towards the other side. So Father, right now, I pray, God, I ask that by your spirit, that you would begin to remind us of your goodness, that you would begin to remind us of your faithfulness. God, right now, we look back and remember that you are a God who has always provided, that you are a God who's always been faithful, that you are a God who's never forsaken us. God, today, we remember that you are our savior, that you are our healer, that you are our deliverer. God, today, we look back and remember that you are the great I am, that you are the God of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you are the God who has been present in our circumstance. God, today we look back and we remember the storms that we faced in life, the strongholds that we had to live in, and God, how you were present in those places, and how you brought us out. God, today we look back and remember your goodness. We look back and remember, God, the miracles that you did and the lessons that we've learned. God, we look back and remember today Jesus on the cross, crucified for our sins. We look back and remember an empty grave, Lord, and our risen Savior. We look back and remember today, Jesus, who you are. You have never failed us. You are a good, good Father. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Come on, church, just take a minute. Take a minute today and thank him for his goodness in your lives. Take a minute today and thank him for his provision. Take a minute today and thank him for never failing you. Take a minute today and thank him for your salvation, for your deliverance, for the miracles that he's done. Lord, we thank you today. You are a good, good father. We praise your name, Jesus. We praise your name, Jesus. We praise your name, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We bless your name, Jesus. We bless your name, Jesus. We bless your name, Jesus. And now, Lord, we hold on to the word. <laughs> we hold on to the word. 
We hold on to the promises of God. We hold on to the things that you've whispered to our hearts. We hold on to the scriptures that we've underlined and highlighted and circled. We hold on to the promises that say you will not fail us. We hold on to the promises that say as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We hold on to the promises that say you are our healer. We hold on to the promises that say you have a plan and a purpose for us. We hold on to the promises that say you're going to move us from glory to glory. We hold on to the promise today that says there's another side for us, that we are not a people who will be apathetic or stagnant to the things of God, but we are going to move forward. And God, we set our eyes on the other side. We set our eyes on the greater things for our lives and for Weston Road. And Lord, we pray today for a deposit of faith in our hearts to obey the word and to go to the other side. If you can say amen to that. Amen. I encourage you today, church, as you leave, let's set our eyes on the other side. Amen. Let's set our eyes on the things God have promised us. As we drive home today, let faith bubble up in our hearts. Let's remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Let's determine in our hearts again, I will be obedient to the promise of the Lord. He said it. He will fulfill it. I'm going. Amen. 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 God bless you, church. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.